0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a new and potentially dangerous zero-click exploit has been found that can be delivered by text messaging in iOS. Facebook, WhatsApp, and Google face recurring fines in Russia over data storage. Mixed content download blocking is likely coming to a web browser near you. We explain what that is. Apple Wallet can now include driver's licenses and state IDs. Good or bad? Now, here are the hosts of the indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm fine. It is the first day of a new month. We're recording on September 1st, which if I understand correctly, is the beginning of meteorological autumn.
2: Oh, is that so? That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. I see these things on Twitter. I follow the BBC weather account, and they always talk about cumulonimbai and things like that. So I learned today that it is meteorological autumn, although the weather here has been autumn for the past month. It has been gray and cold, but we're not going to talk about English weather. We're going to talk about a new iOS zero-click exploit and zero clicks are like really cool it's it's like i'm trying to think you know run of the mill exploits and vulnerabilities they're like cd's and zero click exploits they're like vinyl right 180 gram <laughs> vinyl they they are the kind of thing that everyone wants because all the cool kids have them
2: Yes, I, I suppose you could say that although you don't really want there to be zero click exploits against a platform you're using um, <clears throat> that's that's not such a not such a of fun course. thing. Uh, yeah, so this latest zero click exploit um, has that's been revealed uh, it said the headline is Bahraini activists are targeted with. New iOS zero click exploit. So, um, we talk about zero day exploits a lot. A zero click exploit is, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a zero day exploit. Zero day just means that the vendor, in this case Apple, has not patched the vulnerability yet. And so it's being used in the wild and uh, there's no fix for it. A zero click exploit takes that a step further. If somebody just, in this case, sends you a message, you don't have to click on a link. You don't even have to read the message that was sent to you, but your device can be compromised, it can be hacked. Um, So that's a pretty serious problem. So this is similar to the Pegasus malware. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting that you mention that, because apparently this new uh, iOS exploit is linked to the NSO group, which is known for the Pegasus uh, malware. So. Uh, This exploit is being called forced entry, and um, apparently, according to reports, this is is something that has been known to Apple for at least a month and a half at this point, maybe longer, Um, and apparently it's been in use since early this year. I think I I read that it was February when it was first used, um, as far as we know. Uh, so it's it's been around for a while. Apple's even known about it for more than a month for sure at this point, and it still hasn't been fixed yet. So that's kind of odd and disconcerting. We'll link to an article in The Record, and they talk
1: about previous zero-click exploits that were used on other victims, and they're going back to 2019 originally. What I find interesting about zero-click exploits, and I think people need to understand, when you get a message, right, a text message, because these all go through text messages or phone calls, right? When you get a text message, your iPhone does things. It doesn't just passively receive that message. It has to display it. It has to potentially give a notification. So all that computing in the iPhone is doing something even before you decide to look at that text message.
2: Right. Even if you haven't read it yet. And again, this, this could be, you know, iMessage, it could be SMS, um, but it doesn't even have to necessarily use Apple's messages app. There are other cases where, you know, WhatsApp, for example, has been exploited in the past um, with a zero click exploit. Um, but in this case, it's a problem in iOS itself. And so Uh, That's especially serious because that means you don't even have to have any special particular third party software installed. If someone just knows your phone number um, or even, I suppose, even your iMessage linked email address, they could send you a message and and compromise your device. Okay, we have a story
1: about WhatsApp, Facebook and Twitter being fined for not storing user data inside Russia. And this is a relatively recent thing. The Chinese required that Apple put data centers in China to store iCloud data. Obviously, since GDPR, it's been essential that the data of EU citizens be stored in the EU. Uh, There's a lot of problems with this because of redundant servers around the world. And how can you guarantee that it's stored in one place? But WhatsApp got fined $54,000 for not storing data in Russia, Twitter, 228,000, Facebook, 202,000. They're probably just yawning and writing the checks for this, but more and more companies are going to require that data be stored in their countries. And this is going to have a big effect on how these companies work and on how private this data is.
2: Right. And and this is the kind of thing that could potentially put uh, a smaller company out of business. And I, I haven't read the Russian law on this, so I don't know whether it maybe only applies to companies that make uh, above a certain uh, amount uh, per year. It may be something like that where it doesn't necessarily impact uh, smaller companies. But certainly they're targeting these big companies that make a lot of money and have a very wide user base. WhatsApp and Facebook, those are both really under the Facebook uh, ownership. And then you also have Twitter separately from that. $228,000 is is not uh, a small amount of money. Oh, come
1: on. For these companies that make billions and billions?
2: Yeah. But if you're Twitter or your Facebook, then it's still not Nothing, But, uh, you know, I'm sure they have expenses that are much, much higher than that. I thought this was worth talking about just from the perspective of, you know, looking at China's approach to this versus Russia's approach. China's default is if you don't follow the law, then you're just banned from our country. And in this case, this Russian law is if you don't follow the law, then we'll just make lots of extra money off of you, which, you know, it, it's not not a bad strategy from the perspective of, you know, making um, China's strategy, one could argue, makes China look like the bad guy, like they're being bullies and, you know, not allowing people to play in their country. But then Russia's strategy sort of places a little bit more of the onus on the companies right and says hey if you don't comply we're going to have to fine you you know um you can still play in our country we have no problem with that but now you're going to have to give us money and of course that certainly benefits the russian government as well so Do we know if Apple stores data in Russia for Russian users? Uh, Not that I'm aware of, but certainly it sounds like uh, something where uh, at least these companies that have been targeted so far, they may want to consider doing that if it's something that that can be done. Um, I don't know so much about WhatsApp's back end and how they deal with user data. Um, Given that WhatsApp messages are encrypted, then the
1: only user data that should be It doesn't matter where it's stored. The only user data that should eventually be accessible is is metadata, users' names and and information about when they've sent messages. But see, this this is the slippery slope, that if the data is stored in the country, as I understand it, the iCloud data stored in China has a backdoor so the Chinese government can access it. Is that what the Russians want? And we saw that Apple complied with China's request because of the size of the market. I don't think the Russian market is very big for Apple. So if Russia were to say this to Apple, it would be interesting to see if they would leave a country's market because of something like this. In fact, we have another story we're going to talk about in a few minutes where I was wondering, well, will Apple leave that country because of this new
2: law? And notably, Apple is not one of the companies that has been fined so far. And at the end of this article that we'll link to from the record, they say that almost 600 companies are now storing data of Russian users inside of the country's borders, and they do include Apple in that list. So Apple, I guess, actually is one of those companies that currently does store data in Russia in compliance with the law. So Apple, Microsoft, LG, Samsung, PayPal, and booking are some of those six hundred companies that are named. Now, I would say as long as the data
1: is encrypted on the servers
2: and there's no backdoor for the state, that's not a problem, right? And see that—that's the question. I—I uh, I don't know what access the Russian government has to this information with it being stored there, um, but that—that that is the worry, right? Um, now, if—if if you are not a Russian citizen and you're not traveling to Russia, then you probably don't need to worry about this. But it is just, it's good to be aware of this kind of thing. Okay. Tell me about mixed content downloaded blocking. Okay. Yeah. So this is
1: something... That sounds like a very secure password.
2: <laughs> right. It actually does. Yeah. We'll add some uh, special characters and numbers and, and things in there, and that could actually be not a, not a bad password. Okay. But... Uh, Mixed content download blocking is uh, the, the idea that if you have an HTTPS page and it offers you a file to download over HTTP, it would be blocked. If you're offering files to somebody, you should be doing it securely, preferably. And a couple of different browsers have started making some changes to improve the way that this is handled. Firefox is planning to start rolling this feature out soon. Um, And in the way that Firefox is implementing this, um, if you go to an HTTP webpage, so a non-secure webpage, and it offers you a download over HTTP, that will be allowed. It's not going to be blocked. Now, really... Should you be downloading <laughs> programs and and files over HTTP? No, not really. I mean, ideally, you want everything to be delivered over HTTPS. And in fact, there are of course settings in browsers like Firefox that where you can choose to have to only allow content to come to you over HTTPS. That's a separate setting. Um, but the idea here, the here here's a reason why you, probably don't want to download files over HTTP. Think about it this way. If somebody is a man in the middle. If they're in between you and and the servers that you're trying to reach, um, they can theoretically intercept that request and they can serve you malware instead of the thing that you're trying to download. That's the concern. And of course, this
1: is pretty rare. This is a Tom Cruise type situation, yeah. but you never know. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so this is just a, a new feature that they're adding. Um, Chrome, by the way, has been doing this since late 2020. Uh, It was rolled out uh, in the Chrome version 80-something, depending on whether you were on the Stable channel or the Dev channel or whatever. Um, But this has been out there for a while in Chrome. Now Firefox is doing it, too. Speaking of Tom Cruise,
1: there was a story in the local news last week. Someone a few miles from here, maybe 10 or 15 miles from where I live, someone came to his door and knocked and said, would it be okay if a helicopter lands in your field? (laughs) What? And this helicopter came in and landed, and out came Tom Cruise. Apparently, they couldn't get to the local airport where he was going, so they brought a car. They found this field, and they brought a car, and Tom Cruise was there. And he very patiently went and talked to the family and the kids and took some photos and went on. He's been filming in Birmingham, which is an hour from here and in other parts of England, the next Mission Impossible movie. And if ever Tom Cruise lands in his helicopter here, you know that I'm going to get him on the podcast.
2: Oh, absolutely. At minimum, you have to get a good picture with him. Well, that would
1: be the first. Okay, (laughs) so Realtek. You put this story in our notes, and I was thinking Realtek. I've heard this name before. They're a router company, but they sound like one of these cheap Chinese companies that sells every type of electronic thing on Amazon, but I think they've been around for a long time, haven't they?
2: Yeah, in fact, the reason that you're probably familiar with the name is because they actually make the chipsets that are built into a lot of these name brand routers that uh, that are available on the market um, from a lot of companies that you're you would be familiar with for sure: um, Belkin, ASUS, Tech, D-Link. Uh, just to name a few. And there's there's lots and lots and lots of companies um, that are all using this, uh, this technology. Uh, Netgear also has one particular model. Um, Realtek itself actually even, uh, I believe, makes some routers of its own. Many, many companies all use this chipset. And the, the problem here is that these devices have recently been under attack from an IoT, Internet of Things, botnet. A botnet that is notorious for doing DDoS or distributed denial of service attacks. So, the idea behind a DDoS attack is that um, you get a whole bunch of infected devices to send messages attacking a particular server. Or IP address, or whatever the botnet owner is trying to attack online, they just take control of all these infected devices, in this case, routers, and use them to target a particular company or a particular uh, server. So, um, the thing to know about this is that you want to make sure that you have your router software or firmware really up to date. If your ISP manages that, which they may, uh, sometimes your internet service provider actually provides you with your Wi-Fi router and they may not let you update it. but if it's something that you can upgrade yourself, make sure you've got the latest version of the firmware installed. Also, as I've mentioned before, If it's been, I would say, more than a year since the last time a firmware update was made available for your particular model of router, then it's time to buy a new router because chances are they're not releasing security updates for it anymore. And that's pretty scary.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have some news about Apple, Google, and Microsoft.
0: Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so
1: we have an interesting story coming out of South Korea. If you've been paying attention to the news, you'll know that there's been a lot about app stores and monopolies and the percentages that they take, the 30% and all that. South Korea has passed a law that will force Apple and Google to allow developers to use their own payment processing systems for in-app purchases. Now, this is not to allow developers to sell apps through an alternative app store, which is what the Epic Game Company wanted. But once you have downloaded an app, they'll be able to include code to sell in-app purchases. And my example of this is you can buy things from small businesses on the web, and they use a service called Stripe that's integrated into a website. You get a pop-up window. Boom, you get the payment. Now, there's a lot of problems here because to me, if I buy something from Apple, I'm pretty confident that I can trust Apple. I don't have to put in my credit card for each payment. I know who I'm dealing with in case I need a refund. Whereas here, if every time you buy a game and you want to buy some in-app purchases for extra lives, you're going to have to put a credit card in or have an account of some sort. What happens if you don't get it? Who do you contact? They don't even know that you own the app because Apple doesn't give them that information. And this is actually a big deal, which could be part of a domino effect around the world against the duopoly of Apple and Google and
2: their app stores. That sounds like an Apple PR talking point right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 of course, that is one of the big things that's been dis, uh, discussed as part of this Apple versus Epic uh, court battle, right? Honestly, I think Epic would would be OK if all they got out of it was, you know, even if Apple were able to maintain their a monopoly on being able to install apps. At least they could offer an app and then the if if the in-app purchases could go directly to Epic through whatever payment provider they chose, Epic would have been okay with that, I think in the first place. So what's going on in South Korea is very interesting in light of that because essentially what they're now Requiring is that in app purchases can go through other third parties according to South Korean law. So that means that um, Apple and Google are going to have to to start um, complying with this. Um, which could could be kind of interesting to see whether you know other countries decide that they want to move in this direction too, because you know once South Korea starts allowing it, then others are certainly going to look at that and go, "Hey, well if they can have that law and Apple's going to comply with it there, then they need to comply with it here too." Um, so it it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out, uh, how this this decision in South Korea impacts other countries. Yeah, and we were talking earlier, Apple would not leave China
1: because it's a huge market. They might leave Russia. It's not a big market. But I think South Korea is a pretty big market for Apple. Now, yes, South Korea is the home of Samsung, and Samsung is quite popular. But I think Apple is quite popular as well. But we're talking Apple and Google. It's not just Apple. So Samsung is Android, which uses Google Play. So the same thing applies to everyone. There is, there's a lot of this going on. The EU has some anti-competition investigations going on. There are some things going on in the US and Congress. So I think we're going to see something change very soon. The question is, is it safe? Can you be sure that when you get – when you download some random game that you don't know about and it says here, put in your credit card to buy extra wives, can you be sure that you're going to be getting those extra
2: wives and not getting scammed from all the money that can be taken from your credit card? Well, yeah, and, and it, it really is a fair point. Uh, so one of the things that Apple – can do, of course, if they find out that a an app is misbehaving in the way that they're handling third party transactions is, of course, they can choose to ban that app from the app store. But I mean, in order for it to get to that point, it would probably have to really make the news, right? It would have to be a big enough thing that it would really come on Apple's radar. And, you know, if people are just leaving reviews on an app and saying, hey, this app stole my money, um, at what point would Apple notice? You know, take notice and and actually respond by kicking them out of the App Store or something. So um, it is a potentially big concern. Uh, to be fair, I, I, I know that I know that it sounds like an Apple talking point, but but it is a, a, a serious concern. Well, we know that Apple is
1: not reacting very strongly against apps that are charging exorbitant subscription fees for ridiculous things. There's one developer, I'll I'll link to an article, I forget the name of the developer. He's from Greece, I believe, and he's been doing a lot of research on this. And he points out apps that are like, here, 20 bucks a week to use this photo sharing app. And and somehow people get scammed into this and they may not even notice if they don't pay attention to their credit card bills. But another thing is that, and this is an Apple point, they say that family sharing might be less effective. There are some in-app purchases that are, say, Consumables. I'll link to an article I wrote a few months ago about in-app purchases. Some of them are lives and coins, et cetera, But some in-app purchases are actually adding features to an app. And if you're using family sharing, that in-app purchase gets shared across your whole family. If it's going through a different payment system,
2: then it wouldn't work with family sharing. And it just makes the whole thing a lot more complicated. Yeah, I I really like that point too. Um, And and of course, one of the things that you can do um, as a parent or also in school environments, if you're managing uh, a lot of devices, you can place controls to disallow in-app purchases. But if... Anyone can use any old in-app purchase method, uh, you know, where they're just like basically redirecting you to a Web page within the app to to make a purchase. Um, you know, how, how are you going to block that? I, I guess um, what potentially Apple could do is they could force the in-app purchases that go through other companies to maybe follow some particular API, the application programming interface. In other words, Apple could kind of force you to jump through one particular hoop before you are allowed to do other in-app purchases so that then they could still allow other payment processors as long as you're following Apple's rules to get to that point. So that way they could still have these blocks in place if in those kind of circumstances. Okay, we'll see. I have a feeling in the coming months we're going to hear a lot more about
1: this in a lot of different countries because I'm going to link to an article on Daring Fireball where John Gruber was pointing out that most people don't care about how in-app purchases work, except for the fact that it's so smooth on Apple devices. My thought, though, is that it's not the users who care about this. It's the companies who don't want to pay the 30%. This is not a change to help users. It's quite the opposite. It's a change to help the developers, and they don't care about the users. But I think we're going to see a lot about this. Apple is adding a new feature. I believe they announced this at the Worldwide Developer Conference this year. You'll be able to add driver's licenses and state IDs to the Apple wallet. And you'll be able to display them. You'll be able to pass that information on to a scanning device, kind of the way you use Apple Pay. You know, it it presents the thing and you double-click on the side. Just as an aside, they talk about double-click on the phone. I've always found that odd because it's not really double-click. It's double-press, right? You used to click being with a mouse. Else. Anyway, these IDs will be available in the wallet, and this is both good and bad. So let's start with the good. Okay.
2: I think one scenario where somebody could use something like this, and it might make sense, is sometimes you have to show your ID for for things that are, you know, are just for like legal compliance reasons or or whatever. Or or maybe you just have to show your ID to get admission into a particular venue just to show that you are who you say you are. And in certain circumstances, you may not really necessarily want to get out your driver's license or your passport just to show who you are. And in those cases, um, you know, if you've got Apple Wallet set up to display your ID and you know that that might make absolute sense in certain scenarios but there are Other scenarios, arguably, where it's probably not the best idea if you only have your ID on your phone and you're not actually carrying a physical copy of it with you. Well, I think the best example,
1: and I'll link to a tweet from Nilay Patel from The Verge this morning, who said, I got a speeding ticket the other day, 75 and a 55, whoops. There is no way I would ever hand my phone over to a cop and let them walk back to their car with it, and no way I would trust police anywhere to not try and do that, regardless of how the tech works. And that's a really good point. If you get stopped by police, license and registration, please, and then the police go back to the car and they phone it in to see if you have any warrants. And if you're showing them your phone,
2: are they going to take the phone with them? And I wouldn't want to do that. Right. Yeah, that's a little bit sketchy, especially since we know that there are technologies that would allow somebody to break into an unlocked phone or even to, you know, uh, place malware onto it (laughs) and things like that. Not that that's something that is necessarily going to happen. Not everybody has a great key or whatever sitting in their cop car. In fact, it's very unlikely that anybody does. But think of another possibility.
1: African-Americans are unjustly targeted by police in the U.S. And more and more, they're being told to film any interactions with police. So if you're using your iPhone to film the police officers and you have to give it to them, them to see your license, then they're effectively removing the post. It's like they're turning
2: the body cam off, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's another perspective too. I, I, I think I think that the biggest thing here is you don't want to be giving an unlocked phone, handing it to anybody and having them walk away from you because you don't know what they're going to do with well, that Well, I don't even want to give a locked phone that might be worth a $1,000 to someone and let them walk away. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you would like to think that you could trust um, a law enforcement officer, but I mean, honestly, I I don't I, I don't want to hand my phone over to anybody, period, exactly. for any reason. So so in, in this particular case, if if you're in a car, you should probably have your physical driver's license with you just for this kind of scenario. It's much it makes much more sense to hand a physical license over to an officer if you're asked for it. Okay, last story
1: today. This phishing attack is using a sneaky trick to steal your passwords, warns
2: Microsoft. Ah, yeah, kind of a clickbait headline. But this is an interesting story because the subheading is hovering over a link in an email isn't going to be enough to check if it's going to take you to a dangerous site. This is something that we've warned about before. It used to be once upon a time, um, we all thought that that's how you check to see whether a link in an email or a link on a web page would take you to some malicious site other than where you thought it was supposed to go. And and generally, the the adrup- advice used to be that if you just hovered over that link, it will give you a little preview of the actual address where it's going to take you. Well, we know that that's not necessarily the case. And there there have been ways, of course, that you could spoof that using JavaScript or or other things.
1: Or you could use a URL shortener. When that happens, these companies like Bitly and others, they react pretty quickly and delete the shortened URLs, but they can still
2: work for a while. Right. That's true. And the other thing that people should know about this is, is that, of course, especially when it comes to emails most emails that are coming from a company are going to use some sort of redirection service anyway. And and they do this for the purpose of being able to track which links are most popular in, in emails and things like that. So the way that this new phishing campaign works is they're using multiple links and they say clicking on them results in a series of redirections that lead victims to a Google reCAPTCHA page that leads to a bogus login page where Office 365 credentials are stolen. So here's here's the problem. There's They're using multiple redirects. So the, as long as that first link looks legitimate enough, that's great. And, and also the reason that they're using reCAPTCHA here as one of those interstitial pages is to make sure that any automated methods of detecting that there's a phishing page at the very end of this redirect chain are going to be stopped because they're not going to get all the way there if you're using an automated system because it requires a human to solve the CAPTCHA. And so they're putting the phishing page after the CAPTCHA. So it's kind of a clever um, way of going about this. It's mean and these mean old <laughs> fishers shouldn't be doing stuff like this. But it, but it is clever. Okay, that's enough for today. We've been saying for a few weeks we're getting
1: closer and closer to the iPhone and other Apple new products. And maybe we'll know more next week.
0: But until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intigo website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.